That's a tough one. The seven deadly sins. We could be here a while, like sometimes. Uh, exactly. So you know, seven deadly sins, a seven-hour examination of conscience, right? <laughs> Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host, Dennis. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how are you doing today? Good, Robert. Good. It's a dunkle kind of day today, although we don't have any dunkles with us. And I had a nice chicken marsala dinner yesterday evening. Thanks I, to I, that little notification you gave me, which I, I was saw just, my lagate. I yep. was going to ask, you know, how how was your steak on the Barbie last night? Because yeah, uh, you were all excited on a Friday in Lent. You were allowed to indulge in some meat. Perfect timing, wasn't it? Right in the middle, like almost in the heart of the big middle of Lent to uh, it was, be able to indulge a little bit. Yeah. If you do the liturgical math, we were more or less exactly halfway through Lent. And uh, just kind of to explain to our listeners, we're recording this on the, the day after the Solemnity of the Annunciation. And that's one of those uh, nice little treats that come every couple of years or so that a Solemnity uh, will fall on a Friday in Lent and kind of gives that a little bit of a reprieve from our Lenten sacrifice uh, and the, the abstinence that, that is called for on Fridays. And yeah, I love it the- because it, right at the top of the Laudate, which you sent me, Robert, tells you right at the beginning, first thing in the morning, this is not a day of fasting or abstinence. Okay. Yeah, And thanks be to God for that. So you had your chicken marsala. I did. Uh, I had half a donut and a butter tart after dinner because nice. as you yeah. had, had requested, I'm not eating sweets after my meals during right. Lent. And I got to say too, that once I got started in that, it was like almost, I couldn't stop it. I, I had to really work hard to put the brakes on, on it. I it's don't hard, miss, isn't it? Yeah. I don't miss the sweets after meals, but then once I get started, it's like, I can't stop that. You know what? Yeah. So that. I'm doing sweets. I'm doing chocolate. I'm doing all that, but it gets a little bit easier as we move, move along in Lent though, doesn't it? Except well, for you that weekend, the few days in London must've been tough. You kind of went off through as the hardest week yeah. of uh, hardest three days of Lent. And I was actually talking a little bit about this and that's going to kind of lead me into my, my shout outs. I want to give a shout out to father Michael Hughes at St. Mark's parish in Stolville. They invited me in to give a Lenten mission this past week. And Talking about uh, you know, our, our Lenten sacrifices and the three pillars of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And I kind of asked the question, I said, here we are halfway through Lent. And I said, how's your Lent going? Because I know for myself, Ash Wednesday, by about noon Ash Wednesday, I think I could have said a couple dozen times I'd caught myself wanting to cave to my Lenten sacrifice. Mm-hmm. By that Friday, and I think we recorded that first Friday of Lent, and I shared then I was almost a neurotic mess by the end of right. that, like 48 hours after we started, but it has gotten a lot better. Yeah. It gets better as you go along. I, I think it's more difficult than it was for alcohol or beer last year, because I just said I wasn't doing it. And I, I didn't do it, but now it's, it's not so much. It's almost sometimes you don't even think about it and you're about to slip up. You see a chocolate bar or you see a piece of dessert lying around and you think, Oh, and then you realize, wait, I'm not, I'm not doing that this for the next 
you know, 20 days or 25 days. It's, it's, it's more difficult, but it's getting easier as you said. Yeah. And I, part of that, I chalk up to the the strategy I learned this year from St. Ignatius of Loyola and the spiritual exercise of doing mm-hmm. a, a particular examination, not just daily, but almost continually throughout the day of keeping track of those times of temptation and mm. yes, the, those first few days, the times of temptation were many, Yeah, but as it's going on, the, the number has gotten less and less and less. It's less and less. And you may not even go, you may not even go back to your gluttonous ways after Lent, I'm assuming. God willing. Actually, speaking of gluttonous ways, I thought I noticed you the other day. You were looking a bit svelte when you walked into my classroom. You've lost a little bit of weight. I think you've lost a little bit of weight in a good way. It, it depends on the day, to be quite honest. Um and no, I think you're just being modest. I'm sure you look the, the leanest I've seen you in a long while. Well, then it just must be migrating because the scale's saying differently. Oh, it's the giving up the treats and the desserts and stuff that must have a cumulative effect over the last month. It does help. It does help. Mm-hmm. Now, and you're mentioning that, and the the kind of the weight loss is a, an added bonus to our Lenten fasting, our Lenten sacrifices. Uh, a good friend of of mine, a good friend of the show. Uh, he was a guest of ours while you were convalescing. Mm-hmm. Um, William Hemsworth, know right. the faith, defend the faith. And we have given him a shout out before on the show. Yeah, he had yeah. a tweet. He sent out a tweet a couple of weeks ago where it was a, a very simple, but profound phrase. Fasting without prayer is simply a Catholic diet. Hmm. Right? Fasting without prayer is simply a Catholic nice. diet in as much as that, uh, yeah, the added bonus of the weight loss is great, but we really need to approach our, our fasting as part of our prayer life as well. And I just, I found that so profound. Yeah. Maybe uh, I should save that it. for the quotes later. Yeah, maybe we offer, we offer up for fasting, right. As you know, as we do in Lent. So like I said, I gave the shout out to father Michael Hughes at St. Mark's in Stouffville for having invited me to come in and speak at the parish there and, and trusting kind of my cold call. I do have a bit of a history with, with Father Michael. It was Father Michael that came four years ago to my father's bedside and administered the anointing of the sick, administered the last rites the day before my, my dad passed away. Um, and it's one of those, my dad, who was not a religious man whatsoever, mm-hmm. struggled through to follow that sacrament. And you know, kind of the, the, the second last word I ever heard my dad say was amen at the end of that sacrament. And you could see how much it meant to him. And um, Father Michael was showing just how much of a privilege it is as a priest to be invited into those moments with the family where um, there's really no other outsiders there than the immediate family. Yeah, that's nice. Um, oh, as well as uh, you should probably give a shout out. You gave me, you brought me a couple of prayer cards too. And those were beautiful um, artwork on that. Do you want to give a little shout out there as well, uh, Robert? So again, uh, multiple shout out on this one too, too. Uh, and I always say, and we, we always have a chuckle, uh, my friend, Monica. So my friend, Monica McConkey over at equippingcatholicfamilies.com. Her daughter, Kelly, who is an extremely gifted artist yeah, those were beautiful uh, did the artwork for these saint joseph and the immaculate heart of mary prayer cards so we'll definitely have to get a link up to that again in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, they're absolutely beautiful uh they had those at uh, saint mark's parish so uh, they offered for me to take a few and uh yeah to, to pass those along to people who are prayerful but we'll get uh, that link to equip equipping catholic families up in the show notes 
I'll also um, track down some pictures of these prayer cards and get them on the Facebook page with a, a link over to Monica's Facebook page uh, because they are available through her website. So yeah, that was very um, impressive. It's a, an amazing vocation uh, that young Kelly has with her artwork and that's supported by her parents. Yeah. Now, before we go much further uh, for yourself, any shout outs this episode? Um, always you putting know, you on the spot with that. Yeah, no, just Pat, my brother, because he's getting us some more hats. So the hats are on their way. Have you any hats left? No, you've given all your hats away. I've given all of my hats away. I have one hat here that I take the picture with, with uh, my drink that I put up on the Facebook yeah. page as uh, I'm advertised the new episode. And I have my own personal hat that I wear on my head. You're going to have to start giving that away. You gave a hat to father. You brought a nice hat to father, Eric Moss. Saw the photo of that. That was uh the two of you looking very sharp and him, yeah, especially was... in his new cap. And did Ro Robert ever get his hat in Mississauga? I think he did. He must have. Uh, he, he must have. I'll have to reach out to Robert yeah. just to make sure that he got that. Uh, but yeah, thanks to your brother, Pat, for hooking us up with those, those hats and uh, some so great we're getting merchandise. More in, hopefully shortly, maybe with a little bit of change at the back, but pretty well the standard at the front. Yeah, and if anyone's interested about the hats again swing by the facebook page there's pictures of the hats up there yeah. uh, if you're interested in procuring a hat uh, you can get those at catholicmoment.ca uh, at the shop there uh, so catholicmoment.ca and i think it's backwards slash shop s-h-o-p but if you, okay. uh, you you can find that did, that there along me? with links to the to the podcast excellent did you hear me crack open that beer as you were speaking before so you have the prayer at hand no i did not hear you crack that open i was too busy talking there dennis but i'm going to crack mine open so why i do that why don't you share with us what it is that you're drinking i'm drinking the venerable guinness draft from 1759 i was just reviewing a few facts about um i went to the guinness uh saint james gate in dublin one of the best tours you can ever take robert if you're ever in the dublin area and you know, one uh, next to Ireland isn't the top brewery anymore. It's brewed more in England. And third place now is Nigeria. They've got a big, huge brewery in Nigeria. It's very popular in, uh, in Africa. And Cameroon, I think, is fifth. But it's a traditional beer, and it's such a great beer. It's a great beer for a winter drink, isn't it? You like it, it is. And like you said, we're, we're having a bit of a, a dunkel kind of day. So having that Guinness Stout would be a... A great beverage for today. It's overcast and drizzly and rainy. It's very much Irish weather. It there. really There's, is Irish weather. And what is it about that widget in the can that you can never or over pour a Guinness? You ever notice that? Like, look at that. Perfect head. Per perfect pour. But the thing is now as thirsty as you are, you got to right. wait about three minutes for that thing to settle, pal. You know what? Oh, and that was one other thing I mentioned. And that's the improper pour. Because as you know, it, if you go on the website, it's 119.53 seconds for the proper pour, you're absolutely right. It's a two-pour system, and it should be about two minutes, but we're not in a bar, and I poured it quickly. I figured by the time you read the prayer, we'll be in for two minutes. So you, you'll go. be ready to go. Yeah. So, And for myself today, I uh, took it upon myself a couple of weeks ago to go to the neighboring village up here. So I went over to Uxbridge, Uxbridge, Ontario, which is about a 15-minute drive from where I am in Port Perry. What did you get? And they have their own little craft brewery there, the Second Wedge Brewery, and I thought, yeah, no, we haven't had one of their beers on the show. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy their IPA. Their Three Seasons IPA is one of my favorites, but again, more for the summer. Mm -hmm. And I know that we were going to be talking a, a little bit more again today about monastic orders. So I thought I'd go with a monastic style, a Trappist style beer. So I have their 
I'm going to butcher the pronunciation because I want to pronounce it in French. Um, the derailleur. So I look at someone derailleur, but the mm -hmm. de derailleur uh, Belgian double that they've put out. I haven't tried this before. So uh, percentage oh, alcohol, percentage alcohol, 7%. The, the tasting notes on the side of the can read a Belgian yeast and rich specialty malts give derailleur its notes of spice and dark fruit. It's a warming and smooth treat mm. for the end of the bike ride or just the end of the day. Are you planning to go on a bike ride soon? N not today. Not today, but I would love to get out on the bike. I used to, to go out and ride uh, all the time. So you, you got to be careful up there when you're, when you're riding this, it's, you know, not too many bike lanes up in your no, area, is there? No, you're, you're, you're out on the highway most of the time up here. Mine's 4.2% and it's only 440 milliliters. I feel like I'm getting a little bit ripped off here, Robert. I'm not getting the full 500. You have a 500 mil? No, no. The, the typical 473, I believe. Well, yeah, at least you got the 473. And this just contains barley. That's all it says on the label. Isn't that funny? Yeah. We, yeah. we all know how Guinness tastes. So anyways, I, I really enjoy their IPA at the second wedge. And I had a taste of their porter, which I also wanted to one day highlight here on the show. But I had a taste of their porter and it was so smooth. It was absolutely blissful. So I'm really looking forward to this. So let's say Grace Before you, Beer. You've never met an IPA you haven't liked, but yes. Uh, there's correct. been one or two. Okay. There's been one or two, but gen generally, no, not at all. And the same with the porters and the, yeah. the stouts. There's not many that I've come across that I don't like. But sometimes when the breweries do something a little bit funny with them and try to throw in yeah. that, that specialty taste just to make mm -hmm. it different, they make it just a little too different. I haven't had a porter in ages. I've got to try one, one again soon. Yeah, well, we'll have to, I'll bring, bring one down of the, the second wedge for you. Yeah. To yeah. Try out. But anyways, grace before beer in the name of the father, father of the, the son and, and of the, the Holy spirit. spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant, through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the, name the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy, holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Boy, that's good. Oh, and this is nice as well. How is it? It's so funny. You, you can see, I'll, I'll just hold it up here. You see that's the, not quite color. as dark as your Guinness, no. but a nice, robust you, color. Do you know what I noticed about the Guinness just now as I'm tasting it, Robert, is that you never get it. I must be that little widget in the nitrogen in that widget that you never get it as chilled as one of those loggers or pilsners. It's still really nice, but it's not. Even though it's in the fridge, it's just not as cold, which it's not supposed to be, right? It's, it's, supposed it's not to be supposed to be warmer. I used to work with uh, a guy. He was from the north of England, and he would share about how uh, when he was growing up, Guinness was his dad's beer of choice. Yep. It was never kept in the fridge. And actually what his dad would do Ugh. is after he poured the Guinness, mm -hmm. he would go over to the fire and take the poking, poker iron, so take the iron out of the fire and just do a dunk of the iron into the Guinness and out. Oh. to toast it okay i get the toasting thing but it would be way too warm i, I couldn't drink it at room temperature i know oh. it's supposed to be a few degrees above zero but room temperature oh yeah and i'm just th thinking of the 
the ash off of the iron yeah. out of the fire too kind of grosses me out but that's uh that's what he said his dad would do with it uh and a number of those heavier beers are actually supposed to be warmer right right yeah all the them. ales yeah they're all supposed to be just above uh, you know above freezing well above freezing for sure I know for myself, I, I prefer really cold and really crisp. So do I. But there, there's some that, yeah, it's a little bit better, a little bit warmer sipping beer. They actually, the flavor comes out the longer that you hold on to it and the longer that you're sipping, just more and more flavor comes, comes from Because that. we got such hot summers and we need a nice cold beer in the summer where you don't really get the hot summers in England and Ireland, do you? Yeah, and but we've got the cold winter, so we oh. need that warmer beer to warm us up. Yeah, we do as well through the through the winter. No, this Derailleur Belgian style Dubo, it's, good. Uh, it's very good. It does have that rich aroma, uh, that full body, that full fruity flavor uh, that you would expect from a Trappist style ale. So no, very well done, second wedge. Uh, thoroughly enjoy it, but again, more of a sipping beer. Mm-hmm. So we might end up having to go a little bit longer today just so that I can get through that because it's not a not a beer you're going to throw back in uh, in 10 minutes. But thinking of the the Belgian style dubbles, thinking of the Trappist style ales, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Spencer Abbey. We we've mm-hmm. mentioned the Spencer Abbey down in massachusetts the road trip we're going to take hopefully one day yeah i would love to do a pints and pews pilgrimage yeah with with the spencer abbey being kind of the highlight of that so right yeah kind of getting to a a number of different uh, religious sites along the way but also stopping in at craft breweries as we make that and i was really interested in reading the article about the Spencer Abbey. Uh, they've mm. got a great little website and it goes into to great detail about their history. And that was uh, interesting. They, mm-hmm. they have a fantastic um, favorite questions page as well. Uh, but it was really interesting that beer was not always a part of their plan. I saw that. I saw that jams and, and uh, jellies, I guess. And then they uh, ventured into the um, beers after they did their homework. I, I see. Yeah, no, I was reading. So there, there was a, a new brother to the Abbey. And like you said, the jams and jellies and these different monasteries, they, the different abbeys, they all seem to have their own specialty little product. They do. Yeah. So they have the, they had the jams and jellies. There's Saint Benoit du Lac in Quebec, um, where it's the cheeses. Right. The Genesee uh, in, in New York state, which is the breads. The breads. There's another Abbey uh, also in Quebec. Uh, the name is escaping me right now. Uh, where it's chocolates and then also because it's in the middle of the forest uh, herbal teas and <laughs> wild mushrooms nice as well so the Spencer Abbey was jams and jellies but there was this new brother that came along and he needed to find he was discerning what he could do to help sustain the Abbey because that's part of the the order is that it needs to be self-sufficient they need to right. be able to pay for themselves Uh, through their work and he Mm -hmm. was trying to figure out what is it that i can do you know what is in in my talents my god-given talents that i can do and he's like i kind of like craft beer yep i'd like to maybe look into brewing and brewing is a monastic tradition Mm -hmm. so why don't we go down that road and start brewing uh, a trappist beer so he took that to his abbot and the abbot says like you got to do your homework like you said 
uh, you, you got to figure this out before we, we go down that road. Mm-hmm. So uh, love what he did for his homework. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't that be great homework, eh? Go to the local craft brewery and, and start working there. I wonder if he was just volunteering there maybe in, in a little bit of training, I think it said Robert. And then they, I like the way they kind of did not, he not only had to do their home, the, his homework, but they had to chart an economic path. I think you, it says in the article mm-hmm. to say, okay, is this sustainable? Let's take this. If we're going to take it seriously, we need to go where the big boys produce the beer. And well, of they, course, they, one they, of your favorite spots. To, exactly. They need to have that business model in place. Like you say, is it sustainable? Is it going to bring the money in? Is it going to be profitable? Right. And then, like you say, not just going to the local craft brewery, but going to see where the big names mm-hmm. in the business do it. So uh, a little road trip to Belgium. Yeah. And, and, nice, eh? and after we do our Pines and Pews pilgrimage to the Spencer Abbey, that will probably be the Pines and Pews pilgrimage number two. Absolutely. Is, uh, we'll, we'll do a road trip uh, overseas. And, yeah. Uh, as small as Belgium is, we could probably fill a whole month pilgrimage just going from Abbey to Abbey. Well, I think it's, it says when you sent that article, it was a two year data gathering mission. That's a good little trip overseas, isn't it? Yeah. Well, exactly. So that's maybe something for, uh, on the retirement, we'll have to go on our own little two year. Yeah. I was going to say, we'll do a couple of months. I don't think we'll do two years. I don't think our wives would allow us two years away. You'd maybe be surprised how long you, your wife wants you out of the house. Are we taking our wives when we go on this day, this fact gathering mission? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. I, I could not go. see myself traveling without my wife. Well, then we can't go two years because we, we certainly have children back home too. Well, they can fend to. for themselves, right? Yeah. So that's they're, they're getting old enough as well. But uh, no, I would love to, to do something like that and to try the, the different oh, yeah. years from the different monasteries. Uh, I think that would be a fantastic little pilgrimage because you're, again, weaving together the faith and the fellowship right and, and both of those are, are going together again that's something too not just with our wives but i would love to go with with other people who also enjoy a nice beverage every so often but also who are devoted to the faith and who yeah, are serious about yes. the faith yeah now did he just go to belgium over when he went over or did they do other trappists no or... i believe he just went to to belgium to do that uh and again, that's because that's where the, the highest concentration of Trappist right. breweries are. Now, I know he mentioned a two-year data gap. How many, I know you mentioned this on the previous program, but how many Trappist monasteries in Belgium alone that produce beer? I believe, it's, I believe it's six. Now, a two-year data gathering mission, he might not have been there the whole two years. Right. Right. And then part of that too would not be just, let's go try the beer and okay, we like this. And what's your recipe? Thank you very much. And see you later. He would have gone and spent time with his brothers mm-hmm. in faith, with his Trappist brothers, and would have lived in the monastery for an extended period of time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where a couple of guys like us that are more uh, pilgrims, faith tourists, beer tourists, we're going in, we'll visit the church. We'll meet. I would love to be there for Mass. Mm-hmm. with the brothers for sure and then go to the tasting room and then you're off so mm-hmm. i i think our little trip would look very very different right from the brother from spencer abbey 
Right. We do a weekend retreat or something for sure. I would imagine or a few day retreat there. Oh, for sure. But yeah. again, I, I just don't think it would be the, the same experience no. as no. that. And he stayed with the, the tra- within the Trappist orders and the, the Trappist monasteries. We need to remember that it's not just Trappists that brew beers. There's the, the Augustinians, the Norbertines. Uh, there's other Benedictine orders as well. Right. And so that kind of brings us to the, the next little article that you brought to my attention. Yeah. Just the- before we get that, I, you forgot one little point on your, your article was that, and then he came back and then I liked the way they decided it wasn't just going to be, you know, the Abbott's decision or his decision. They voted on it with an overwhelming mm-hmm. majority to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do a, a Trappist brewery. The first in North America, I believe. Correct. Yeah. And, not to bring the brother abbots or the, the, the brother monks down or anything, mm-hmm. but if you were to get a room full of guys and put it to a vote, would you guys like to brew your own beer? I think there's going to be an overwhelming majority. Right? It's, a foregone, it's a foregone conclusion, <laughs> right? isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's just call that one as it is, you know, guys, right. guys being guys. But that being said, it would have been a very prayerful process and a very much a discernment process yeah and when was that when was that decided upon how many years ago is that now that they've been brewing beer oh now you're throwing now you're throwing me on the spot because i don't know if you gave me that last page and it was was that their actual brewery on site because that looks beautiful modern building yeah so that is their brewery on site and i think there was a, a process that went along with all of that I believe that it was actually they were brewing for about a year before they decided to go public with it. Okay. Because well, they wanted to make sure they had the right product. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's the other thing. You can decide to do these things and then start it up too quickly and you don't have the right product. And then even if you do perfect it afterwards, people aren't going to want to try it because they've already been put off by the first, the right, first go right. around. But no, you, you wanted to talk a little bit about religious orders as well, not just the, the Spencer Abbey. But. No, yeah, because we just got a question the other day, and it was, you know, what's the difference between a, a diocesan priest and a religious priest was one of the questions that came forward. And I came across in St. Anthony uh, Messenger magazine, which is a great little monthly magazine, if anybody uh, was is looking to subscribe to something Catholic. And it it went over the different types, the differences between sisters and nuns and monastic life and monks and priests and Trappists. And yeah, it was really, it was really good. And it talks about Aura et Labora, work and pray that the Benedicts were founded on and some of the um, different religious orders that came out of the Benedictines, including the Cistercians. And then the Cistercians were getting a little bit lax and then Cistercians of the Strict Observance, also known as our friends, the Trappists. Yeah, but it was really interesting. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, friars, I just, Franciscan friars, I just thought it was the word friars. Of course, you would know this, Robert, coming from the French word frere for brother. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there was a couple of points I didn't. uh, One, I knew the mendicant, the begging orders, the Franciscan. I didn't realize that... um, they were founded in response to corruption in the church in the 1200s. I know there's been corruption in the church throughout, but um, I'm just, I was just thinking to myself where the other ones were obviously, like we said, had jams or breads or beer to brew. So once they got out of the begging, the Franciscans, how did they sustain themselves? I, I think they still sustain themselves, themselves. 
uh, along the line of from charitable donations. Right. Okay. So it's always, it's almsgiving then. And I didn't realize, I never heard of this vow. Now, maybe you had heard of it, a vow of stability. That one I haven't heard of before. Right. But generally, the Benedictines take the vow of, uh, so now you're putting me on the spot. Now, the Benedictines take the, the vow of poverty, chastity, chastity and obedience. obedience. Right. Yeah. So this vow of stability is for more cloistered uh, groups who who make a vow to stay in one place. So, um, and then others would go out into the world, like religious sisters would go out into the world. But others would say they would take a vow of stability. The Franciscans they would go out into the world, so they wouldn't take a vow of st- stability. I would imagine Cistercians, the Trappists, those types of uh, uh, groups they would take the Carthusians they would take a vow of stability, so they would remain in one place they wouldn't be allowed to go out okay. i guess they could go out right sometimes shopping whatever visitors but they have to live there for their lives and, and i hadn't heard that before so that is yeah. very very interesting i'd never and, heard of that and you you raise another point there as you were talking uh and that was part of our conversation earlier this week uh and it was something that i kind of knew but if you had asked me Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to give you the answer, but as soon as you said it, it's like, yeah, okay, I could pull that out of my back pocket, but I wasn't worried. right. The difference between a nun and a sister. Right, right. The nun and the sister. So the nuns are cloistered, right? They would remain in one place where the sister, religious sisters, the sisters I knew, probably the sisters you knew growing up, they were working in schools. They were working in hospitals. They were out and they didn't take a vow of stability. They were out in the field. Yeah. Because I would always use them use the term sister and nun interchangeably. So I guess we can't do that, correct? Well, exactly. And so so would I have. And I'm just thinking back, there's a, a video out there on YouTube, a, a mini documentary. It's called God is the Bigger Elvis. And it follows uh, Mother Dolores Hart, who oh, was, a, yes. was an actress who played opposite Elvis, but she ended up becoming a cloistered Benedictine nun. None. And within that documentary, they're all calling calling each other mother. <laughs> and it's like, because you think mother or mother abbess was the one that was at the, the head or in charge of the yeah. abbey and the rest were, were referred to as sisters. And I think that's where that interchangeability that we, mm-hmm. we think of, of nun and sister being, being the same. And again, I really don't know the answer and the, the wholeness of that whole story, why they would call each other mother. Right. I think it has something to do with kind of what level of uh, vows that they are at, because even within the monastic orders for the men, mm-hmm. they make vows at different stages of their discernment path. Right. 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 And then in the, you got to give that name of the, mo- you got to give the name of that movie again. Robert, for our listeners, God, and for me too. God is the bigger Elvis. God is the bigger Elvis, yes. yes. It, Amazing. Great... She was at the height of her fame. She stars opposite Elvis, and she decides to leave all of the fame and fortune of Hollywood to become a cloistered nun. Very she, cool. She was even engaged, hmm. and they were planning the that. wedding. They had, I think they had even purchased the cake. They were planning. Her fiancé was an architect, so he had already planned out their, their house in Hollywood, like everything was ready to go, and she just realized that she had that calling to go to the abbey, right? And wow. not just—it wasn't just an abbey around the corner; it was going from Hollywood to upstate New York. Oh, she left entirely California and she moved yeah. to upstate New York. Very cool. But she had yeah. been introduced to the to the abbey when she was 
working on stage in New York. So there, there was a little bit of a, a connection, connection there that okay. she had been working up in New York, but yeah, left Hollywood to go right to the other side of the, the country for that. So if uh, we, if we think of the Benedictines that they, you know, or at Labora work and pray, and you know, a lot of them have their own, what did the cloister nuns, did they produce anything like? Well, they're, they're Benedictines as well. Okay. So they so would have they, to, they have... would also follow the aura at Labora. Okay. And I think again, when you look at the, the different Benedictine uh, convents that are out there, each one would have its own specialty kind of product that they would right, produce right. as well. So we we actually too, spoke right? about that um, a few episodes ago when we were talking about the Maradret Abbey in Belgium and the, this group of Benedictine nuns where the roof was caving in and they needed to find a way to pay for That's the right. roof. And they did beer. And they decided to turn towards brewing. Now, instead of taking on the brewing industry themselves within the confines of their, their convent, they kind of licensed out the right. abbey name, right. the convent name to a local brewing company mm-hmm. under the guidance of the sisters and using uh, a typical Benedictine brewing recipe. Right. Put you just love the saying the name of that convent too, because you know I'll never be able to pronounce that the way Ma- you do. Maradrette. And, and even then, I remember from the episode before we did that, I actually... Um, had your sent a text message that. to my buddy and in, in, I, I always say he's in brussels uh he's actually in just outside of brussels in Vemo, which mm-hmm. is not that far from gimbergen which has also their own uh monastery that bruisers the gimbergen beer which we all know and you can get kind of worldwide that actually is produced i think by one of the the world's largest brewing companies but the norbertines at the monastery there have actually started brewing on site again Oh, cool. So we'll add that to the the Pints and Pews podcast pilgrimage. Pints and Pews world tour. We've got so many places that we need to go on this pilgrimage. It is going to be a two-year extravaganza. Yeah, but no, there was a li- just a couple of lines here I wanted to read from that, Robert, because I thought it quite interesting, and, and maybe you can comment. The Benedictines were great, but their motto of Ora et Labora made them a victim of their own success. They were so good at prayerful working that they became wealthy which is not the point of monastic life. A second religious order, the Cistercians, were founded in 1098 in order to adhere to the rule of St. Benedict more closely. But by the 17th century, some Cistercians were worried that their order had also grown soft, and so they founded the Cistercians of the Strict Observance, better known as the Trappists. So that's how the Trappists come into play. Yeah, and you see that throughout Benedictine history. Right. Right. Uh, They didn't mention it, the group before the Cistercians were the Cluniacs. Okay. Right, from from Cluny, which is kind of in the, the middle of Burgundy, uh, a great place to visit. Uh, I have some deeper connections to Cluny. Um, the family with whom I've lived uh, some short period of time and have gone back to visit, um, the parents from the family actually came to our wedding. That's how, how close we are. Right. And... So the mother of the family is from a couple villages o- over from Cluny and the father had gone to boarding school in Cluny. And so on my first visit way back in 1986, we, we went to visit Cluny. Now, the Abbey church at Cluny at one time was the largest church edifice, the largest church building in all of Christendom, <laughs> even bigger than St. Peter's. Wow. Right. It, it was absolutely huge. It had seven bell towers of which, and my memory is a little bit foggy, but of which 
either it's only one or two of the seven bell towers remain. Uh, because what happened was during the French Revolution, uh, the French civil government uh, seized all church holdings and, and all church land holdings, especially. And what they ended up doing is they would use these churches that they had shut down as quarries for stone and brick <laughs> to build other things. So you were in the area around Cluny, you could go into a barn where you can even find the, the stone walls that are separate the, the fields and you will find finials and you will find exquisitely carved stone that's in a, in a cow stall because they took that from the largest church in Christendom and they used it to build their barn. Oh, wow. Right. Interesting. Uh, and I remember really being struck the first time I went at the age of 16, there was still the, the tympanum. So the, the doors, the main doors at the front of the church were still in existence and they're still standing today. But way back in 1986, the main street of Cluny went right through the church doors. So as we drove into town, we drove through the church doors. No. Right. So and, and that just blows your mind. Yeah. And as a, a 16 year old so Canadian you still, boy, you're. Can you still do that today? No. Do so I... they, they've closed that all down, and the archaeologists have gotten in there and they've um, dug out the cellar of the church and the crypt of the church. Uh, and it it's really is quite well done. Uh, uh, you would have to spend at least a day, if not two days, to visit. And you can go on the tour around the grounds and they'll, they'll take you through the, the remaining parts of the church, the remaining parts of the, the monastery, the buildings that are still left. Uh, the granary is still there. I believe it's the one house where they would receive guests is still there. What century was that um, church? So that would be, built. I'd have to go to the bookshelf and pull out the... No, but I'm just guessing. Book. So it was after the Benedictines and before you said the Cistercians, correct? Yeah. So okay. So now be... remembering, I believe it was founded in the year 990. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it grew and grew. So there wasn't just Cluny, but they had all of these satellite abbeys as well, all mm. over Europe. So you would find Cluniac. You know what? There's got to be a, a bus abbey tour of these places for sure. There's got to be um, guided tours. I would imagine Robert. Guaranteed. Yeah. So we'll guaranteed that. that that's, that that's there. Um, but it was almost to the point where they, they had kind of their own currency and their own road system. And they were able to levy taxes and tolls as people went through their properties. Right. And again, Great. so it, they became so rich, it became uh, unwieldy. And right. so you saw the Cistercians, say uh no enough. yeah that, put a pause that's, that's, reset that's enough yep. uh good for them not to keep going and, and realize that that wasn't their purpose on this earth right that they were called to do other things not create and generate more wealth exactly and then you get to the the far extreme of that and we were talking about that earlier this week as well as the cartusians right right that are up in the french alps and uh, your comment was you know they're they're hermits that live in community right they're, yeah I think the thing was the, uh, yeah, hermits, uh, you could, you, a unique combination of living like a hermit and living in community. Yeah. And so you were like, how, how does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And the best way that you can see how that works is another great film that's out there. And I know you can find that on YouTube as well. It's called integrate silence. Right. And the Cartusians let this German filmmaker into the Abbey to, to follow them for one full year. Right. Now, the Cartusians also take a vow of silence. So you have to think this is two, two and a half hour movie. 
there's no dialogue. All right. It's just great silence. And so the brothers each live in their own cell. They spend most of their time in their cell praying. They do come out for common prayer. Mm-hmm. And then each brother, again, kind of coming back to our discussion of the, the Spencer Abbey, where the one brother says, you know, what I can provide to the Abbey is to this brewing process to help bring income in. Each brother within the Cartesian order is responsible for something for the well-being of the community, for the functioning of the community. So there would be a tailor right, or, a, or a barber. Well, there's not something, generally speaking, that they all, you know, like beer or bread or jams or preserves. They actually have their own little work, their own little profession. The, their own will. little profession within the monastery so that right. the monastery is self-sufficient. Yes, the quotes are up next, Robert. And the first quote that I picked was because I was thinking of you when I picked it from St. Francis de Sales. I was thinking of you and your calm demeanor. So I'll read that for you then. Right. Never be in a hurry. Do everything quietly and in a calm spirit. Do not lose your inner peace for anything whatsoever, even if your whole world seems upset. Okay, good. And that's, you know, I, I see a lot of you in that, you know, you're always calm and you always, always very collected. And even before the show started, you're kind of a bit of uh, a tizzy, you know, you had a lot of things on the go, but then you just took a deep breath and you know what? And you realize that everything gets done in time. Right. And we have to, we have to be calm. And I, I do take a page out of your notebook for that. And I do try to, you know, emulate you in that respect. So that was one I wanted to bring in. First and foremost, I think you need to get to the optometrist to get a new prescription <laughs> there, there, buddy. All right. I have laser eye. I'm okay. There's some, right. And it's kind of funny that you say, because you're not the first person to say that. And I kind of mm-hmm. look at them and go, are we thinking about the same person? Um, and, and there's been some people I've said, you know, you weren't there the day that I was kicking furniture around my classroom because I was so wound up. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but like, you never it, lose your inner peace, though. That's what I find with you for yeah, anything whatsoever. Well, and I, th- and I think part of that is being able to recognize when you're starting to boil over. Okay. And you were mentioning just before the, the show that I was in a bit of a tizzy and I shared, um, I'm pretty sure I was out for a walk with uh, a buddy. We both have golden retrievers. So we're out for a yep. walk and we stopped for a coffee and I ordered a decaf Americano. And about half hour after the coffee, I'm thinking, yeah, that was not decaf. So I'm, I'm putting all of the blame on the barista. On, yes, on the barista. And what is okay. a decaf, Amer- other than the fact that there's no caffeine? Uh, what is Americano? So an Americano is an, an espresso, a double espresso mixed with hot water to get it to basically the same size as your regular American coffee. Okay. But it is so high octane. So first of all, isn't a double espresso decap an oxymoron to begin with? Like you can't. Yeah, like, but it, it's a flavor getting... thing. Oh, okay. It's a flavor thing. So funny. <laughs> I've never I, heard yeah, of a decap espresso in my life. That is the funniest thing. It, it comes down to a flavor thing. It, it's kind of like a light beer or a non-alcoholic beer. Sometimes and you how just When's the flavor. last time you and I shared a non-alcoholic beer? Never. No, I don't think it's ever happened. But yeah, uh, I have a favorite expression. Just thinking about this, never be in a hurry and do everything quietly and in a calm spirit and do not lose your inner peace for anything, Mm -hmm. even when the whole world seems upset. Uh, I use an expression a lot of time when people 
And I kind of apologize that things aren't going on time or something's running late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a, a Swiss expression. Actually, I, I learned this from a, a friend of mine growing up from Sion in Switzerland. Well, merci, Nicolas. The lake is not on fire. Mm. Right? I like that. The, the lake is not on fire. And it works better now that I live 30 Near seconds away from a lake, yep. right? Uh, the lake is not on fire. Don't worry about it. What's the point mm-hmm. in getting upset mm-hmm. and riled? The lake's not on fire. Now, when the lake's on fire, then we'll get upset. Then we'll get panic. Yeah. Okay. Then then we'll panic. Uh, and I'm just going to take that one step further. And I'm going to ask our listeners, and I know I've asked you, but I'm going to ask our listeners to pray for the people of St. George's Island in the Azores, uh, thinking of the lake being on fire. So in the last week, St. George's, so this is uh, mid to late March, 2022, uh, they've had over a thousand earthquakes in the last week. Uh, there is now a, a volcanic eruption, which is imminent. So that vision of the, the lake being on fire, I mean, just seeing the, the molten lava that's possibly going to come and, and go into the, the North Atlantic. Now uh, that's my father-in-law's Island. So my wife still has cousins all over there on that Island. Uh, so pray for those people of St. George's Island uh, that they may be kept uh, safe uh, throughout all of this. Because right. yes, yeah. when the lake is on fire, then you panic. Then you panic. And as always, we we too remember the people of Ukraine during this time too, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. thank you. So, And the next one was St. Francis de Sales. Now we didn't pick St. Francis de Sales at the same time. I got to get a book on St. Francis. He's got a lot of wisdom. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I picked a, a quote from St. Francis de Sales because I figured Dennis cannot corner the market on St. <laughs> Francis de Sales' sanctity. As, Simply because I have a church in my town. I, one would, yeah, I was going to say, one would think that that's your parish or the next I know, parish over. I know. Yeah. Um, okay, so this was yours, but I'll th- read This it one was you. mine. Yeah, yeah, please do. Be patient with everyone, but above all with yourself. Do not be disheartened by your imperfections, but always rise up with fresh courage. I like that one, Robert. I think sometimes we're our own worst critics, aren't we? Oh, exactly. I yeah. think because we hold the mirror up so close to our face, mm-hmm. uh, we see our faults long before others see them. Right. And we need to be patient with ourselves. Yeah. And our imperfections are magnified when it comes to looking at our own imperfections, aren't they? For sure. Yeah, exactly. And that notion of having fresh courage, mm-hmm. that, you know, take heart, take courage, be not afraid. Right, right. Be not afraid. Yes, recognize your sinfulness. Yes, recognize your faults. But in doing so, recognize them as a way of moving forward. Yes. Right. Always going forward, for sure. And now thinking of going forward, your next quote from St. Bede the Venerable, unfurl the sails and let God steer us where he will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes we're trying to think it's all on our own and we're we got to do it this way and that way. And we don't realize sometimes we just got to get out of the way, Robert. Yeah. And let it, God direct us. Scary as that is. Yeah. yeah. So when when, when God takes the wheel, he's usually wanting to go somewhere we don't want to go. No, we don't want to go, but we know where we have to go. Yeah. And and yeah, you're saying that our our notion to always want to be in control uh, reminds me of the wisdom of two separate people. Uh, one of them, you would have heard this quote before uh, from our very own uh, Archbishop, Cardinal Collins. Now, how often in our prayer life is it that we're saying, listen, Lord, your, sp- your servant is speaking, 
as opposed to speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> right. That's good. Yeah. He did say that quite often, didn't he? Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're not willing to let God steer us where he will. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that whole notion of God is God. And I am not there. It reminds me there's that meme out there as well. Um, there's a mom on a roller coaster with her little son and, you know, kind of shows the mom is, is laughing and points her as being the Holy spirit kind of directing things. And the kid is absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, when we let the Holy spirit take over, when we let God take over, it can be terrifying. It can yeah, be terrifying. Absolutely. And then the other little piece of wisdom that reminded me of was actually from my wife. Such beautiful wisdom comes from her sometimes. And, I, and I'm just floored by it. And the one time she was talking about how, you know, we always say, you know, we're going to lay our troubles at the foot of the cross. We're going to put mm-hmm. our, our troubles at the, the feet of Jesus. And there's that the divine mercy prayer for three o'clock. Jesus, I trust in you. And she said, how often do we say, Jesus, I trust in you, but I'm going to do it for you anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, and my wife said that to me one day on the sofa and my jaw just hit the floor and it was just, mm-hmm. like, wow, that is so profound. Wow. That is profound. How often do we say, Jesus, I will, tr- I trust in you, but I'm going to do it for you anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Man, yeah. We well, that we was, that's don't. exactly what you talked about. Let him steer. And the last quote you have is, uh, of course, I'm going to butcher the name. The great uh, Opus Dei founder, Spanish, St. Jose Maria Escriva. I think you did better than I would have. Not bad, not bad. I okay. Think you did better than I know I, I don't I speak five languages to you, Robert, but I try. At the time of your examination of conscience, beware the devil that ties your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh, exactly? So what, what's the thought process behind yeah. picking that? Yeah. No, it's just interesting to just explain a little bit more. At the time of your examination of conscience, beware the devil that ties your tongue. So are you saying how, that we how, forget how, stuff? Or? It's not that we forget stuff. Right. Not that we forget stuff. It's how in our human frailty and in our right. human pride, we do our examination of conscience and we have our, our list and mm-hmm. we get into the confessional. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to mention that. God mm-hmm. knows, but I'm not going to mention it. Mm-hmm. Right? Where really we do need to say these sins out loud okay so it's opposite of where we got to where the last part when you talk about scrupulosity or scrupulous conscience it's more of a lax conscience you're talking about with this quote almost the notion of presumption yeah yep 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 that's not really a sin i don't really have to mention this part well exactly i think that's you know and that's what the devil wants he the devil wants our sin to pile up like a dung heap Right? The, the devil wants that stain on our soul to get darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. And so he has us think, oh, it's not that important, or I don't need to say it. And even though we might even recognize, yes, that's a sin, and yes, it's important, and yes, I need to confess it, I'm too embarrassed to. Yep. And I think that's where the, the devil is tying our tongue yeah. with, with that embarrassment. And, and don't forget, the priest has heard much worse from many people, so don't. Don't ever feel, you know, that the priest is going to be shocked or anything like that. And if you're you're really that conscientious about it, and if your relationship with your priest is such, and this was myself mm-hmm. for for quite a while at our yeah, former parish, that. was yeah. very good friends with our pastor uh, to the point where we would get together once a month to share a glass of wine or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't go to confession 
with Father Charles just because of the ref- the friendship relationship mm-hmm. that was there. As much as, like you say, you know, they've heard everything before, and his last name was Forget. He always said, "Don't don't worry about coming to confession to me. My last name's Forget, and that's exactly what's going to happen." That's great. Uh, and, and that truly was his, his last name, but still it was one of those things. And it's like, so we went to the, the next parish over, right? right. Where we, we've never been from, I've been from mass in that parish once and it was for somebody's wedding. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is no relationship there with the priest. Right. So if you're that embarrassed and that worried about what you have to bring to confession, go the next parish over. There's a tons of priests around. Yeah. Right. If you're lucky uh, enough to live in an area where there are a lot of churches. Yeah. And even if you're not in an area where there's a lot of churches, mm-hmm. there's, I, I'd say at most an hour drive. For sure. At mm-hmm. most. Right. So, and, and at the end of the day, even if you were to slog through that embarrassment, once you do it, and again, speaking from experience, once you do it, once you get through that prideful arrogance that you think so much of yourself, the weight that comes off your shoulders, the weight that comes off your heart, your heart will actually skip a beat because it's so free. Right. Yeah. Speaking of prideful arrogance, you've got prideful arrogance. You have some tips for us as we begin our uh, Lenten confessions. Yeah. And this is one of the beautiful things from our archdiocese here in Toronto is that uh, in the last I want to say at most 10 years that they've come up with the notion of an archdiocesan day of confession. Right. 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 Once in Lent and, and once in Advent, uh, there's kind of a day or a, a gamut of days where mm-hmm. the pastors are called to spend pretty much the whole day in the confessional. Right. And just thinking back, our, our good friend of the show um, who we had, he was one of our very first guests on the show. Uh, David Scubin of the Catholic Canuck. The Catholic Canuck, yes. Yeah, the, the, and again, great podcast. Look up the Catholic Canuck. Um, lots of great guests that he has through there as well. But he both opens his show and ends his show with the exhortation. You know, remember, get to confession at least three times a year, every Advent, every Lent, and whenever you're in a state of mortal sin. Right which for some of us, we would maybe be more than three times a year. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But enough about you, Robert. Let's go. No, I'm joking. Exactly. No, exactly. I mean, basically it's every five minutes at best, you know? Yeah, no, but absolutely. Yeah. He makes some very valid points there. And I think they have been doing that for about 10 years. Now that you mention it once in Advent and once in Lent. And I just realized ours is coming up very quickly. Ours seems to be in my parish, April the 16th from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m priests will be available all day that's getting it in right at the wire because i think easter is the 17th so i don't know know. you might want to double check that date there my friend it says wednesday april the 16th did he not april the 6th as previously advertised i'm looking at his church bulletin right now did he make a typo on that maybe i don't know i don't and i'd have to look up the calendar on my phone i don't know what day is what like what i know april 1st is a friday so the 8th 15 yeah, like 
April 16th. That's Holy it's, Saturday. It's Saturday. Yeah. So he says Wednesday, April the 16th. I think I got to contact our parish priest just to, just, just over to, to, to I think, make sure. I think he meant, I think he meant Wednesday, April the 13th. He must have. I don't think he's doing a day, a day of confessions. No, on no, no not, not on Holy Saturday. No, he's, I don't think he's so. He's busy enough that weekend. It's, it's funny. He said not April 6th. He means April the 16th. So I think he means not April 6th, which was the Wednesday previous. I think he means Wednesday of Holy Week. April yeah, the 13th. Okay. Yeah. The 13th. Isn't that funny? So if you're at St. Bernadette's in Ajax, uh, make sure you talk to Father Chris after Mass this yeah. weekend to make sure. <laughs> which what hopefully we'll get him on the show soon because he's got a great story to tell us. Yeah. God willing. God willing. Now, now, thinking about that, getting to confession at least three times right. a year, I always like to ask my students and when I'm talking to people, what is the Catholic teaching on getting to confession? What right. is the strict minimum? It's once a year, isn't it, Robert? Yeah. Once a, once a year only once a year and traditionally in Lent, because mm -hmm. when you go back you know, 100, 200 years, what would happen is people actually wouldn't receive the Eucharist on a regular basis. It wasn't frequent know. at all. Was it? No, no. Uh, because they just felt I'm not worthy to receive mm -hmm. the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And most people waited, they received the Eucharist maybe once a year mm -hmm. and they would do that at Easter. Right, right. They would they would make their Easter communion. That's right. And so they would leave everything their to their confession to the last second, mm -hmm. maybe to Holy Saturday, right? Just like maybe it's happening at St. Bernadette's in yeah. Ajax. <laughs> <laughs> but they would leave it to the last minute to get to confession so that they were still in a state of grace to receive communion. Right. Right. Which in our human nature, I think is impossible because if you leave the confessional to go re receive communion, you're going to step out of that confession go woohoo i'm in a state of grace and then yeah. your pride's kicking in right like you're in a state of grace and you got to make a u-turn and head right back to the confessional right 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 and you know i when i talk to my students about that i actually start off by asking the question you know how often do you guys you know take a shower or, or bath and i say you don't need to answer that's just a rhetorical question i really don't need to know don't want to know how often that you're, you're you're cleaning but the conversation is you know kind of goes on i said I know most people it's daily or every other day, you know, maybe at, at, at most once a week, right? Whatever. And I, I say, I really don't know about that. I know that you're, you're bathing frequently because it doesn't smell in my classroom. I say, okay, but the strict minimum from the Catholic church is once a year, once a year. So I say, imagine if you were taking a shower once a year, how much would you stink? Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the stench would be unbearable. Yeah. So imagine analogy. if you're, you're giving your soul a shower only once mm -hmm. a year, how much does your soul stink? Right. Right. What, what is the stench that's coming from your soul? And then the next question is how many of us are going to live for forever? Right. Like, and, and I always love to quote Scott Hahn on this, you know, there's a 100% mortality rate. Mm. Yeah, and when he's saying yeah, this talk, true. he'll be in a room full of a thousand people. There's a hundred percent mortality rate in this room. None of us is getting out of here alive. Right. <laughs> and, and we all have a, a good chuckle. But the good news, the good news is that we have a hundred percent immortality rate. Mm. Yes. A, nice. We're, we're, our, our soul guaranteed is going to live on mm. forever. At which point I then say to my students, so you got to pick your destination wisely. Right. Yes. And so if your earthly body is going to pass away and rot in the ground and turn to dust, become warm food, 
but your immortal soul is going to live on. You're washing your physical body daily, but you're washing your soul once a year. Which one really should you be looking after more? Mm-hmm. Which one should you be absolutely be, yeah. be w- more worried about? And and when when you think about that, Robert, when you say that we've had those you know priests come in for at least once a day, I remember the cards too that they had the examination of conscience cards as well that had come out about ten years ago. Where you they put them in our parish, they probably put them in your parish where you're able to mm-hmm. go through just before you went into confession, or take them on a Sunday, and then when you came back for confession, confession you were able to you know, look at those. Do they still put those out? I haven't seen them in a few years. I'm wondering if they're still using those. Uh, I've seen them in my parish. Oh, you have? Okay. I, I have seen I haven't them in seen my, them for a couple of years, but I'm sure um, you can ask for them. And, and that kind of brings me to that notion of making an examination of conscience. Right at the mm-hmm. beginning, when we were talking about Lent, I, I spoke about St. Ignatius of Loyola and the particular examination where you're really focusing on one particular thing. So mm-hmm. your Lenten sacrifice, for, for example, right. you could do that almost hourly. How many times have I almost stumbled in this one particular thing, right. um, most people, they say, you know, you need to do an, an examination of conscience, at least daily. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. as you're lying in bed before you fall asleep, mm-hmm. just to go through the day, what good have I done, but also where have I stumbled? And then, of course, there's, you know, you, you need to make a good examination of conscience before you step into the confessional. And for myself, to make that examination of conscience, it's usually one of two things, and sometimes a, mm-hmm. a combination of both. Is I'll just go through the Ten Commandments. Okay. I'm not going to share my answers here. Right. Right. Like there's some things that are only shared in the confessional. Yeah. But I'll go through the Ten Commandments and, and look at, you know, in the time since my last confession, where have I stumbled on these? Mm-hmm. There's that, or I'll go through the seven deadly sins. Mm. Right. And it's actually amazing how. The two oh. kind of mesh together, right? <laughs> You're kind of covering the same thing with, with either or. Uh, That's a tough one, the seven deadly sins. We could be here a while eh? sometimes. Uh, exactly. So, you know, seven deadly sins, a seven-hour examination of conscience, right? <laughs> Some of us, it's a seven-day examination of conscience. But again, yes. those things are not are not to be shared outside of the, the confessional. The confessional. But, and you brought up earlier that there's kind of two pitfalls that we can Mm -hmm. fall into when we're making that examination of conscience, right? We can fall into the pitfall of presumption Mm -hmm. that presuming God's mercy, presuming God's pardon. And that kind of speaks to that lax conscience type thing. Doesn't a little bit Robert? Exactly. In a way. Yeah. yeah, Where You know what? It's fine. He knows about it. We won't, we won't go there. We don't really have to mention that part type thing. We don't have to mention he's going to forgive it anyways. Right. So, right. Right. So why should we, why should we even mention it? And there's okay. that, just that whole notion of presuming. Right. 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 And then there's the complete other end of the Opposite, spectrum yeah. of scrupulosity. Okay. The scrupulous you, conscience. Yep. You're, you're going through every fine detail of of your life to the point of where it's probably not even a sin where you're finding sins where there isn't sins. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly I, I, with the latter, I I certainly fall into that category. Sometimes scrupulous conscience, not so much. That's for sure. When I think of scrupulous conscience, I almost think of maybe like, you know, the pilgrims back in the day or something like that, where, you know, everything was a sin and, you know, everybody was going to hell type thing. Yeah. So yeah. you don't, you want to, you want to find a, what you're saying is you want to find a kind of a middle 
a middle ground type thing. Well, and you're saying that the, the, the idea yeah. comes to mind. It's very easy to be presumptuous with our own conscience and scrupulous with somebody else's, right? <laughs> that's good. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, for, absolutely. For sure. And that's why Christ himself taught, you know, <laughs> take the log out of your own eye before you I go like looking that. for the splinter in somebody else's. Aren't we so much like that? Yeah. Right? We, yeah. We're presumptuous with our own conscience yeah. and scrupulous with, yeah. with everyone else's. Yeah. Quick um, to point a finger, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, Father Marco, my previous pastor, when you point a finger, you got to remember there's three more that are pointing right back at you. Mm, I like that. Right. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, that's, ju- that's just a pitfall, but we can be scrupulous again with it, with our own conscience. Right. Uh, and, and, and then how do we just quickly, how do we find that kind of middle line, if you will, the balance kind of thing through the grace of God. Yep. Through the grace Prayer, of you, you, you grace really of need God. to, you need to make that prayer. You should almost open your examination of conscience in prayer. Right. And one of my favorite prayers for with the sacraments is may this be faithful and fruitful. So Lord God, may this examination of conscience be both faithful and fruitful Fruitful. and open Lord, open my mind's eyes, open my heart's eyes to where I've stumbled. Almost need to say our act of contrition before Mm -hmm. we say the, the examination of conscience Right, just to ask for God's grace because it is something that we can't really do on our own, totally and completely. We need God's help with that. Right, right. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's difficult, and it, and it is such yes. a such a fine line. And in our fallen humanness, um, we try to straddle that line, mm-hmm. and if we end up with one foot on either side of the line. We're going to fall. And when we fall on that line with one leg on either side, when we fall on that fence with one leg on either side, it, it's, it it's going to hurt. Man. It's, it's going to hurt. hurt. Yeah. Good point. Oh. So just before we finish up, we won't give away next week's guests or, or in a, in a couple of weeks, but we will say that it next week's guest is from the fair. Finally is from the fairer sex. Correct. Robert after yeah. almost a year and a bit into Yeah, yeah, a very good friend of mine that I've done some work with um, has graciously agreed to come on the Pints and Pews with us. And I think it's important. And and you've raised this in our conversations a number of times, Dennis, that, yeah, um, it it is important for us to recognize that, you know, the ladies are also very Mm -hmm. deep in their faith. If anything, I I know my wife is the one who keeps me on the straight and narrow Mm -hmm. of of faith. Right. And they have so much to bring and offer. Again, it's that notion of of balance that we were talking, just, you know, finding that balance between presumption and scrupulosity. Um, God created the male and female uh, to be complementary, to to be complementary. And sometimes we forget that. Yeah. And we also much, I think it was, we were, I was just watching the Francis effect. I think the video, and I think it was Cardinal O'Malley who's Cardinal O'Malley from Boston who said without women in the church, the, you know, the church would crumble. Like you think of oh, for sure. the many 100%. jobs that they play within, within the church itself. Yeah. hundred percent. Even you think right back to the beginning of the church, uh, who was the first person that the resurrected Christ appeared to was Mary Magdalene. Mary, Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. Of course. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. to who is his mother and the other Marys. Yep. Uh, Some great saints throughout the history of the church too, Robert, but we won't get into that now. Th- thanks be to God. Thanks yes. be to God. Yeah. But yeah, no, as, as always, the time seems to have flown by and my hourglass is pretty much empty. 
Always a pleasure, Robert, both the pint and the conversation. As I always like to say, especially the pint. Yes, two good pints. My Guinness went very quickly and it was delicious. You're almost done. I'm, I'm still sipping away at my, my Belgian-style dub. So I'm thinking the, it wasn't. From... Yeah, it was good, but it wasn't your favorite, favorite beer. Not my favorite, you're... favorite, but it's, it, oh. you know, it's a nice sipping beer. It's a nice beer to sit beside the fire. Yeah, with which a you could, good we could use today. Book and, yes, and and that so it it is been nice, but yeah, it didn't go down as fast. But I knew that going in. You said that going it, in. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I could just have another one of those Guinnesses. That's for sure. Mind you, my Guinness is about half the alcohol strength of yours, so I could actually pull that off too, couldn't I? But Very it's always a pleasure to talk about our Catholic faith too. Very true. Very true. And just before we wrap up, perhaps there's one small favor we could ask of our listeners. If you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line there or at pintsandpews at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Okay, we'll chat again very shortly, my friend. God willing. And until then, why don't you remind our listeners of the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pint, and the cross can all fit together. God bless.